Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where we're talking tax. Yes, something that I just finished sorting out for myself, thankfully. Yes, there are only two things that are certain, that is death and taxes, and taxes make up a huge part of personal finance. Yes. As investors, we often don't think about tax until further down the track. Um, and as people that are just starting out, we think, oh, what's tax? You know, it doesn't mm. really matter. But Robert Kiyosaki in his book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, said, if you're paying tax at 30%, um, of your income, which a lot of people that listen to this would be, you're effectively working uh, January, February, March every year just to pay your tax bill. So if you think about that, um, three months of your life every year is just to pay for tax. Hmm. So it makes sense to focus on it, see how we can minimize it. We don't want to say avoid because avoid avoiding tax is actually um, a rule. You're not allowed to do that, but you can you can minimize it. Yes, and you can maximize your tax return or yeah. refund. Um, and there's also some things that we really want to bring to light because if you're a new investor and you're just getting started, if you go headfirst in and make all the mistakes like we did and not think about tax at the start, it can become quite a onerous task come tax time because suddenly you actually realize, oh, I need to account for all of these things I bought and sold during the year. Oh, I had a dividend. What have I got to do with that? So um, if you keep good records from the start and you have a good filing system for all mm. the paperwork that you're going to get sent as an investor, it'll make it so much easier at tax time and you or your accountant are going to love you for it. Yeah. And the thing is that it it doesn't actually take that much effort to do it properly. You just need to know what's what, who's who in the zoo and we're going to break that down. So we're going to talk about the income tax system, like yeah. how it works generally. And then we're going to talk about how maybe you can do some things as an investor or um, even if you're just a person that's earning mm. PAYG. Um, there are certain rules that you should be aware of that differ between individuals, companies. And depending if you're an Australian resident or yeah. not for tax or yeah. otherwise. Yeah, so there's, ba- so there's so many different ways that you can cut it. We've put links in the, in the episode uh, show notes. And what you should do if you're a foreign um, tax resident or if you're a person that's not an Australian citizen or resident, you should check those out because the mm. rules may be different for you. Also, if you're a tradie or an ABN holder and you invoice people, um, the rules will be slightly different when we talk about PAYG. When we say PAYG, that is basically for someone that's an employee. So casual, part-time, full-time, etc. Okay, Kate, give us the basics of the Australian tax system. Okay. So the first thing I want to point out is the ATO website's actually really good to check out because yeah. it has so many great resources and it's actually explained really well. And so with tax, we most of us, we're going to be employed maybe on a full-time basis. And instead of getting, when we get our salary, it might be $50,000 including super or yeah. excluding whatever's easier to work out here. Um, and Unfortunately, not all of that money is going to be paid directly to you from your employer. Your employer is actually going to withhold some money. And so when you get your first paycheck, you might have a look, and maybe even if you're at a part-time job right now, have a look at your paycheck and you're going to see something there um, titled tax or something of that like. Yeah. And that's money that your employer takes out of your paycheck at the appropriate rate, depending on what you're earning. Um, and we'll have a link in the show notes to work out your tax bracket and how much you have to pay in tax per dollar based off your income. But the employer puts that money aside and sends it to the Australian tax office on your behalf. And that money is used by the government to 
run everything. Yep. From schools to hospitals to defense. our border security, yeah. Um, yeah. defense, those amazing public libraries, roads. Um, so all of this money goes to like running the country, even yep. paying the politicians. Yep. And that's it. So basically the government, you pay tax through your employer. If you're an ABN holder or you're a tradie or you work on contracts, let's say you do some freelance stuff, you will have to withhold your own tax. Mm. And the rate that you withhold your tax depends on how much you earn. So Kate mentioned tax brackets. Another way to talk about that is something called uh, a marginal um, tax rate. So the way tax works in Australia, some people have this misconception that there's a 30% tax rate if you earn, say, $70,000, right? The way it works is we call it progressive. Progressive meaning that it's like buckets. Once you fill up the the tax-free threshold, which is like no tax is paid on the first, say, $18,000 of income, then that tips over. If you earn more, it tips over into the next bucket at which you might pay, you know, 20 or 25% or 15%, Mm. whatever the tax rate may be at the time that you listen to this. And then it tips over into, if you earn more than that tax bracket, then it tips over into the next bucket where you pay, say, 35% or 40%. And then the final tax bracket, let's just say it's 50% for round figures, it tips over into that bracket. And then if you keep earning from that point, you still pay 50 cents on the dollar. So it's not like if you earn a certain amount, that you're paying tax on the whole amount of your income, it's mm. it's like on a sliding scale. You always fill up the buckets before you, before you pay that higher amount of tax. Yeah, and we're not going to tell you the individual income tax rates on this podcast because they actually change, they change quite a, a bit. And yeah. they're, they're often used as a political tool coming up to elections where different parties will say, oh, we'll increase the, the tax brackets for different yeah. earnings amounts. So always have a look and find out what your individual tax rate is or ask your accountant because it would also depend um, if you're earning income outside your day job and things like that. So they'll be taken into account. Yeah. So there are other things that typically happen. If you can imagine that every single individual in Australia has one tax return, that's basically all you need to remember. So you will have your own tax return. Now, what goes into that is a bunch of different types of taxes that go into one. Whereas overseas, you might pay tax as you go or pay tax when you purchase something. Here in Australia, the tax office relies on you to lodge your own tax return. Mm. So the tax year ends at June 30th. So for example, let's say that you had um, a big capital gains that you're, you're about to make. You're about to make a big profit on some investment that you've made. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, it's June 29th, I could sell today, but then I would have to pay tax in this tax year. Or I could wait two days and on July 1st sell it then, then I'll record the tax in my next financial year. So some people get really creative and they might say, next year, my tax bracket's actually going to be lower. Hmm. So I'll hold on to this and next year I'll sell my investment for a gain. And so just remember, June 30th is when the tax year ends and July 1st is when the next one begins. So that's different to the calendar year. Yeah. And it's mostly an honesty system that you uh, put in that data correctly. Even though the ATO is actually getting quite good at pulling in the data from all of your dividends and various investments and even bank bank interests now. But if if you're like me and you've got a few different bank accounts earning interest and you've got a few different investments in different spots, it often doesn't really sort of like calculate it all correctly. So you still have to go for a manually look at each thing. But for most... uh, uh, employees that just have the regular nine to five, maybe they've got one or two investments, maybe one savings accounts. It's usually quite simple and straightforward to fill in that tax return. And then um, if the ATO reviews it and has any issues, they'll get in contact. And 
occasionally they might do an audit yeah. of your tax affairs. But for most people, like I've never had an audit. I don't know if you have. No, I haven't, no. Ah. Should we put that on the record or should we? <laughs> Please don't look at us. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that would start something. Yeah. Um, but uh, they, they generally know um, what's expected. Like, so if you suddenly return something out of the ordinary, that might flag something in their system. They've got very clever systems that will flag things. And um, depending if, if you suddenly you don't declare any income in one financial year, they might go, hey, what's happening here? Yeah. And some things like so that. So one way to think about this is... Um, this is the way it was explained to me is that let's say you claim something like let's say you claim like office equipment there are certain rules that apply for specific deductions for a home office but let's say for example you've claimed ten thousand dollars kate and i've got the same income as you i'm in the same industry that's what the ato says yet i only claim two thousand dollars if they got all of the people that were in our industry and they said the average is two thousand dollars and here's kate claiming ten thousand dollars <laughs> That's going to raise a red flag. Yeah. Can I substantiate that claim? Like, do I have any reasons? Do I have the evidence? So sometimes, like when you're providing charitable deductions that we'll talk about in a bit, um, they don't, you don't have to supply the evidence when you submit the tax return. But if they ask, then you might be asked, oh, can you actually demonstrate that you donated $1,000 to charity this year? Where's all the receipts? Yep, that's it. So the ATO system, just in recap, um, it goes to the year end of June 30th. It's an honesty system, but they can pull you up and say, hey, you need to verify that you've actually spent this money and you need proof of purchase. That would be you know, a tax receipt or it would be something in your bank account to show that you've actually spent the money and it was you that spent it. So you can't claim someone else's spending. So one common myth that people have is like there's a husband and wife and uh, the wife might spend some money and the husband thinks that he can claim it on his tax return. It's not the way it works. Um, <laughs> so there are some rules and just as a general rule of thumb for deductions, it's got to be spent. So if you try and claim it against your tax taxable income, that thing that you spent money on, it has to be connected to you earning more money. Okay, so it can't be necessarily just like, oh, you know, I go to the gym um, and I make, um, you know, $100 a year in Instagram revenue because I sell photos of myself. I don't know, whatever you're doing, right? I hope if, not, Owen. If, if your actual income was from, you know, being a carpenter, you can't claim a gym membership because even though that might help you with your other income, it's not related to the actual income that you're paying tax on. So it's got to have a genuine connection there. Um, it's called a nexus in accounting mm. terms. It's called an, There has to be a reasonable nexus between the spending and your income. Right. Yeah. So, Kate, one thing that people will always come across is tax file numbers, yes. otherwise known as TFN. What does that stand for? Yes. So that's tax file number. Yes. So that's the, uh, the IAD that you... I mean, when I was in year 10, like you used to have to fill in a form and send it off. Yeah. Um, but now I'm pretty sure you can just get it online or by yeah, calling probably. up. Sure but um, I mean, we, we created it as many years ago now, but this number yeah. follows you around. And so when you lodge your tax file number, when you get a new job, when you set up a new brokerage account, maybe like your stake or your Perler account, they're going to ask you for your tax file number. And the easiest thing to do is to provide that tax file number. And then it makes everything easy at tax time. But it also means the government can like link everything you have together, even your super fund. And that's how mm. if you go into your MyGov website, you can put in your super, your tax file number and find any lost super funds. But the government can also use your tax file number to tell you if you've got any lost dividends. And there's lots of different registers for that. So it is a handy number to have. Um, and if you're investing and you don't provide your tax file number, 
the provider may withhold tax on your behalf mm. and then you have to sort that out when you do your tax return because they don't know what tax rate you're on. Mm. So have you ever heard of the movie Social Security Number? That's a US thing. Mm. Um, in Australia, we have a few different numbers. We have Medicare numbers for healthcare and then we have tax file numbers for tax and everything to do with finance. So basically the closest thing we've got is a tax file number that follows you around, as Kate said, for life. Yeah. So you want to know what that is. Um, if you don't know what that is, you should find out. And if you don't have one, like if you're a younger person and you maybe haven't explored a tax file number, head to the ATO website. Yeah, and I just point out because once someone mentioned our Facebook community that they were a bit confused if whether a tax file number and a holder identification number, a HIN, were the same thing. And they're quite different. You'll see both of those terms when you're investing because when you set up a brokerage account, they'll ask you for your tax file number. But what you get issued when you create a brokerage account is a holder identification number and they're what your shares are held under. But you can have lots of different holder identification numbers if you have multiple brokerage accounts, but you just have one tax file number. Yeah. With all of these numbers, it's pretty good to keep the um, numbers private. Yeah. 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 Because uh, if you... As long as you have about, a, if you know the stock code or the ETF code, you know the holder identification number, you know the um, postcode, you can see someone's holding online. It might be read only, but. Yeah. So so the, the tax file number is one that's given to you by the government. Yes. You'll use it um, if you ever go into your MyGov account and they link inside ATO. If you haven't done mm. this already, it links your um, super via the ATO app within MyGov. And you can also link Medicare in there. And if you're part of like Veterans Affairs and all that sort of stuff, you can go in there too. So MyGov, you need the tax file number. You want a tax file number whenever you do any work. There is two other numbers that you should know about as it, come, as it relates to tax. Um, and the two numbers are an ABN, which stands for Australian Business Number, and um, ACN, which stands for Australian Company Number. So an ABN is, applies for any business so any business at all, whether you are a sole trader or whether you are a company, mm. but a company number, an ACN only applies to companies, obviously. Yeah. And the, the key difference is that a company is um, its own legal entity. So that means a company can issue you uh, with receipts, a company can open bank accounts, and that's why a company is different to a business. Yes. Like. And ABN is something you can create in a few minutes on, yeah. the, on the government website, but an ACN takes a lot more time to yeah. sort of establish that entity and there's registration fees. So it's a you yeah. usually know if you've got one of those set up. Yeah, you would. And um, the thing is, so if you're a sole trader, when you give your invoice to someone, let's say, let's use an example, you're a carpenter who does work for someone uh, on the weekend and you want to give them an invoice, um, you should put your ABN on that always uh, and your business name. Now, your business name is not the same as like copyright or that. It's just your business name. So you should have your business name and an ABN on that and you can reg register both of those online. It's about $70, I think, for three years to get an ABN. Um, if you're doing any type of contracting work, it makes sense to have one um, because you can't really skirt the rules. So... That's basically the basics of it. We need a tax file number. It's yep. different to an ACN. It's different to an ABN. Um, and let's move on. Okay, so who needs to lodge a tax return? So most people who are working more than part-time will need to lodge a tax return in Australia. If you've had some dividend income during the year, that might be relevant. Um, if you've had tax withheld from payments, then that's probably relevant to you too. Um, and there's some other rules about foreign residents and when they have to lodge a tax return and mm -hmm. when they don't. And if you're here on a visa, there's different rules again too. So I've included the link for the ATO's website there of exactly who needs to lodge a tax return. And they have a really helpful tool. You can kind of go through, answer a few questions and it spits out 
you should lodge a tax return. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ATO website also gives you a process to lodge a notice of like that fact that you're not going to do a tax return. So if a suddenly right. one year you didn't earn any income um, that was relevant, you can also submit a statements or like electronic statement saying, I'm not lodging a tax return this year. I didn't earn above the threshold, blah, blah, yep. blah. Okay. So basically anyone that's earning a decent amount of money, so over yeah. say $18,000, um, if you, uh, you, know, you work for an employer or if you even do your own stuff under an ABN, mm. you should uh, consider lodging a tax return. Remember that you've typically got to the end of October, I believe it is. It could be wrong on that one, but yeah. to, to the end of October. So let's say that the financial year ends now or the tax year ends today on June 30th. Um, you've got a few months before you have to get the, the lodgement done. Um, after that time, you can go to a financial, uh, not a financial advisor, a <laughs> tax accountant, accountant yep. and they can extend the deadline for you. So if you go through a tax accountant, they can extend the deadline for you, but you still have to be um, working through that. If you have a massive tax bill outstanding, you can also do something like if you're worried about that, you can also call the ATO. The ATO is not going to try and like rake you over the coals. It's not their job. Their job is to collect tax revenue. Yeah. So and they what, often can work out payment yeah, plans. They'll do payment and plans and they'll work you. with you to determine if um, or how you can repay them. Yeah. Like I had a friend in the past who when she started a new job, and that's probably something we should mention, like the tax declaration form, when you start a new job, you'll tell your employer, these are my tax details. I'm claiming the, the tax-free threshold. Um, then you also tell them if you have a, a study debt, hex like a HEX help, help debt. Yep. And in this case, um, I don't know if she didn't tick it, but it didn't get done right in the system. And then the employer didn't put aside any money to pay her HEX university debt. And so she did have a more substantial tax debt at the end of the financial year that she was really surprised about. So she wasn't prepared for that. Yep. And so the ATO actually like let her set up a payment plan to pay this off over multiple months. So it wasn't the headache it was going to be because it was able to be smoothed out. Yeah. So that's so that's an important point. Um, when we, we talk now about the different types of taxes that you'll pay. Um, so the one that we've talked about most is um, income tax. So these all, maybe with the exception of stamp duty, which is it's a bit of a different one, but the, the main taxes that you pay all come into that one tax return that you do. Yeah. So remember how I said like everyone does one tax return? All of these different taxes fall within that one tax return. Mm. So again, it's different to say a business or if you're overseas where you might lodge different taxes at different times. There's one tax return and includes everything. Yeah. So the first type of um, tax that people pay is income tax. And that's most commonly associated with you earning a salary. Yeah. So for most people... If they don't have any investments yet or anything on the side, it's just going to be that nine to five income. And in for most cases, the employer will have already put that money aside, sent it to the ATO. And at the end of the financial year, you'll come out pretty much even. You might have a small refund if you've had some deductions. It's yep. meant to be like, a, it's meant to work out pretty close to you having no refund. Yeah, that's um, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And, but you're also in income tax, you'll need to include things like dividends if you've been paid any from your investments during the year. Uh, maybe you started driving around for Uber Eats on the side. Um, you did some Airtasker, you had some side businesses. Really just thinking about like any source of income. Um, you got to have to. You're going to have to declare that, yeah. um, and they'll work out if you've earned quite a bit extra on the side. You may have to pay some tax come that tax time. Yep, and so that all falls in under this thing called income tax. Um, the next type of tax is a little bit less complicated for most people, which is capital gains tax, otherwise known as CGT. So capital gains tax is basically when you make a profit on your investments. So 
the easiest way to explain this, you buy an investment property for $500,000, you sell it for $600,000, therefore there's $100,000 of a capital gain. So that $100,000 goes into your tax return. And that's the basics of it. And it can be for shares, it can be for collectibles, it can be for all types of different stuff. It can even be for vehicles as well. Mm. So you've got to understand that there are two types of tax going in here. One is income tax and the other one is capital gains tax. Yeah, and some people do come unstuck because they might have invested $1,000 in uh, an ETF and then sold it for $2,000 and then immediately gone and spent that entire $2,000 and then finding out at the end of the financial year that they had to pay some capital gains tax on that $1,000 gain they made. And so um, another thing to note in Australia, Australia, if you haven't actually sold those shares or ETFs or anything, you don't have to pay capital gains yep. until that sale is made. Yep. Whereas so, I know there's been some like debate in the US recently that there should be a wealth tax on like un- unrealized capital gains of yep. just like, oh, suddenly Elon Musk has like billions of dollars and he's not had to pay tax. Like that should be taxed. But in Australia, it's just if you make a sale of your shares or your ETFs or your investment property, yep. you don't have to pay because like it could go to zero you never know that's it so this is basically so what kate's referring to is people say that they're cash flow poor Mm. but they're asset rich so this is where people make investments and those investments go up in value and um all of a sudden that value the value of that investment is worth a lot but they haven't yet sold Mm. so they don't have that money in their bank account like the amount of people that google person's name net worth um, we were joking about this before. Yeah. It's the second most Googled <laughs> thing under my name. Um, so uh, if you uh, say like Jeff Bezos, mm. founder of Amazon, people look up his net worth and I don't know, let's say it says $150 billion, right? Yeah. People think that he has $150 billion in his bank account. That he could just do whatever he wanted. He, he definitely does not. No. So I would say that I don't know his financial situation, <laughs> but I'd imagine that 99% of his money is in Amazon shares. Yeah. And so he just has that against his name they've gone up in value that's how he's got wealthy yeah and so when he starts to sell them that's when he'll start to pay tax and so that's the important thing to remember is that you really only pay this tax capital gains tax when you sell there are some exceptions to certain rules but that's the gist of it um i give you a special kind of not very like inside scoop but it's a very important thing for long-term investors like us kate if you hold your investment for more than 12 months the amount that you pay for capital gains will be cut in half. So the key is hold your investments for the long term and you pay less capital gains tax. Mm. And that's to reward investors for being patient and investing over the long term because even the government knows that this is a good way to build wealth. Yeah, so they're trying to um, reduce the incentive for you to turn over your portfolio on a regular basis. Yeah, there's one final thing here which is a bit different for people that we've got here, which is stamp duty. Stamp duty is just when things are transferred. And that typically goes to the state government. So this might be if you trans- if you buy a new car and you see when you fill out your transfer registration, you've got to pay like say 4% or 2% or whatever it is in your state. That's stamp duty. Also when you sell, when you buy a house, you have to pay stamp duty. Uh, so that's another thing that you pay. But that typically is paid at the time that something happens. So most people don't need to worry about that every day. So the two big ones are capital gains tax and income tax. Yeah, they're the main things you'll need to know as an investor starting out. Yeah. And I guess the next thing is the government to make you do and incentivize you to do a whole range of things comes off with all these really complicated tax incentives yeah. and rights. They have like our tax manual is like so big. Yeah. I think you were looking at it last year. It was huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's like Bible paper. It's, you can like see through the papers that thing. And it updates every year. Like one of my friends who's an accountant says they have like a whole week long 
update every year where they have to get trained on that year's tax yeah. stuff so they make sure everything's right for clients because it just changes that often. And yeah. there's so many different incentives. Like if you go down the rabbit hole, there's so many weird like incentives for, to do different things. But I guess we'll talk about some of the main ones that yeah. are worth knowing about getting yeah. started. And the first one I probably want to talk about is like making super contributions and that the government really wants to incentivize you to contribute extra to your super fund whether that's through salary sacrifice or through making a personal contribution and then claiming that back at tax time because they have a lower tax environment inside the super fund. Yeah, so there's two things to this. The first is that inside super, you pay less tax. So let's say your tax rate is 30%. So every extra dollar that you make, you pay 30% tax. Inside your super, you're only going to pay 15%. So meaning that for every extra dollar you that you earn inside your super, you pay 15 cents of tax to the government. So that means you keep more in your super fund. Mm. The other way that they make it um, good for you to put money into super is if when you put your money in, you claim a tax deduction. Yeah. So let's say you put $2,000 in because you've got a bonus from work and you want to just put that into your super, you can claim it. That is a tax deduction. So that obviously benefits you. Mm. Catch is, Kate, what's the catch if you put your money in super? Well, apart from during the uh, the odd blip during COVID, you can't take that money out until <laughs> retirement and it's yep. locked away. So that's always something to keep in mind. There is that incentive, but also it's not easy to access. Yep. So the next one is the Medicare levy surcharge. And I just want to be real. It's different to the Medicare levy. So I don't know, like this is, I feel like they should have called it something else. Yeah. I understand why they named it this way, but there's the Medicare levy, which everyone has to pay. Yeah. And if you'll you, probably see that on your, your tax return. Yeah. Yeah, you will. And you'll see it um, when you use like, we have this um, income tax calculator at RASC. I put it on there just so people know, but there's another thing called the surcharge and the surcharge applies once you earn a certain amount of income. I believe it's $90,000 at the time of recording. This could change. Um, for singles or $180,000 for couples or families. And so what that means is beyond that point- And you also have to be over 30, is it? That's for the lifetime oh, okay. health loading. So that's um, another one. See, it's yes. already that confusing. Yeah, I'm yeah, mixing already, it up. We're at point two. <laughs> um, so if you earn over 90 for single or 180 for families or couples, um, what you, you get slugged with an extra percentage. And that can be avoided if you have health insurance. It has to be legit health insurance, but- <laughs> You also have to hold the health insurance for the full year because it's based on the number of days. So let's say you get halfway through the year like, oh, geez, I'm going to earn $92,000 this year. I should really get health insurance. Yeah. And then you go to do the tax return. You're like, but I still pay the Medicare levy surcharge for half of the year. And the accountant will say yes, because it's based on the number of days you have cover mm. for. So whenever you hear Medicare levy, just think it's your way of paying for our free public health system. Kate, what about if you own your own home? Yeah, so I haven't experienced this, but uh, Owen might one day. If you have a primary residence, uh, it's the place you're living in most of the time. It's actually a capital gains tax-free asset when yep. you sell it. So if you buy your little apartment in Sydney for 500000 and then like 30 years later, you sell it for like a million or two, like these yep. crazy stories you hear about in the paper, you don't have to pay capital gains on that as long as it's your primary residence. Yeah, that's it. So the capital gains tax... Um, on your primary uh, residence is actually super powerful. So mm. because what you can do is you can get a massive loan, which is what a lot of people do. We're not saying, we're not advocating for this, but you can get a massive loan, go and buy a property, 
Um, and then you can hold it for say 10 or 20 years. This is how the generation before us got really wealthy. Yeah, and they keep, you like you keep um, renovating your home, you add the yeah. pool, you you just keep adding to it. And then suddenly it's like this massive asset that you sell and you don't have to pay capital gains tax on. Yeah, whereas if it was an investment property, you would have to pay the tax on it, like on what you made from that in, um, asset. So the principal price of residence is actually a super, super, impressive wealth creation vehicle hmm. um, that's why a lot of people chose to own their homes and over the long term they, they can now retire wealthy catch is a lot of the people that are now retiring only have their home as their asset or they've got a little bit of super but they didn't really invest and build wealth outside of those two things so now they're in a very unfortunate circumstance where they have asset to sell rich, the family cash home. Flow poor yeah again. so they have to sell from their retirement um, the next thing is the capital gains discount um, you mentioned earlier Yes, yeah. I did mention this earlier, the, the capital gains discount. So if you hold an investment for more than a year, um, you get a discount. Mm-hmm. Basically, the way it works, if we go back to my example of an investment property, if the investment property goes from 500 to 600, that's a $100,000 gain. If you've held that for more than a year, it, you only get taxed on $50,000 worth. So half of that. Mm-hmm. Still pay tax on it, but only on half. So again, let's be long-term investors. Kate, what's your best definition of franking credits? This is a slightly different thing altogether. Oh gosh, I'm terrible at explaining franking credits. (laughs) You go for that. Okay, so franking credits are like tax credits. Just think of them like tax credits. You'll hear about them in investing. They were a very popular thing at the last election. It's not surprising that the person that suggested this is now not in politics (laughs) because the reality is a lot of retirees and wealth accumulators like people in the FIRE movement love franking credits Because what happens is when you have shares in a company or your ETFs, you'll get your dividend with cash, but you'll also get something called a franking credit attached to some of them. And what happens is that money goes to the ATO and it's registered that Kate is um, an owner of these shares that paid a franking credit. Then when you do your tax return, you can use those franking credits to offset the other tax that you're going to pay. So then you can end up getting more, instead of paying tax come tax time, you can actually get a refund because of friend credits. And why do these things exist? Because this is like a company when it earns a profit and if you own the company, so let's say you own a company, if the company's paid tax, you shouldn't be then taxed again at your income tax level because you've already paid tax. Your company has already paid tax. Hmm. So what the, the cap, what the franking credits does is it avoids double dipping. Yeah. That's what it does. And that's but why. But when you work for a company, your employer pays tax. And then as an individual, you also pay tax on your income. That is so true. That's it's just the, the, in this very, franking credits apply to this very specific yep. thing. But to be to be fully honest, like if you invest in Australian shares or say like the A200 ETF or the VAS from Vanguard ETF, you're going to get franking credits. Yeah. And they, over the long term, you know, 1% here or there might not seem like much. But over the long term, that's going to be super powerful for your wealth creation. So yeah. franking credits definitely help. And when you get your um, your dividend statement from or your distribution statement from BetaShares or Vanguard or whatever company you own, it'll say in there um, the dividend or also say next to it franking credits and it'll have an amount there. And so make sure when you're filling in your tax return or getting your accountant to do it, there'll be actually a separate section to put in the franking credit. So you don't want to forget to put that yep. in if you have some. For sure. Okay, there are two more things here I'd like to pick your brain on um can you tell us what these these are often very common for people so tell us a little bit more about those so the next one's self-education expenses so the government incentivizes you to spend money on Mm. upskilling in your area of work 
uh, and you can actually deduct those costs. But the catch is it has to be related to what you're already doing. So working in finance, I can't go off and do a horse riding course and say I want to be a horse riding teacher and deduct that because it has nothing to do with what I'm currently doing. Even though it could be leading me to another career, it's not directly relevant to me earning more in my current job. So this is worth looking at the ATO website of what they define this and talking to your accountant. So you might be just working, you might want to do a management course and that might be directly related to you earning more income in your current place of work and you might be able to deduct that. And it's also worth asking your employer if they'll pay for that because that's even better because you don't have to pay for it to begin with (laughs) yep and so these this is really good because if you're um if you're wanting to get further ahead in your career you can effectively subsidize yourself via you know tax incentives or via your employer's budget for this so make the most of that what about this one Kate? i feel like everyone puts this on their tax return charitable donations yeah so the government also incentivizes you incentivizes you to donate to Australian registered charities, which you can double check as long as you make more than you donate more than two dollars. Yeah, I think it's two. Um, yeah. You've probably seen like when you've bought a poppy before for a member in state, it'll say um, this is like a um, a tax mm. deductible donation in Australia, um, and so all of that money that you might have donated to the Smith family or the life you can save. Um, or any registered charity in Australia, you can round up all those receipts, calculate it all, and claim that as a deduction as well. So that incentivizes you to donate to charities. Yep. You just have to make sure they're registered. So I don't know if there's a minimum amount, like if you just donated $10 to someone without a receipt, you can claim some of that. Yeah, so typically, I believe, I could be wrong, um, the way that this works is that it's typically on good faith for to a certain amount. Yeah. So again, once again, don't be going and claiming, oh, yeah, no, I um, donated, yep. Yeah. $2,000 to uh, the life you can save. And then they'll be like, well, where's your receipt? And mm. you're like, um, I don't have one. That doesn't fly. So what you want to do is you want to make sure you keep your receipts. Just take a photo of them with your phone. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. pretty simple. And most of them email you. Most of them email you. Like yeah, things anyway. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard of anyone being questioned over it, but I think maybe if you made quite a significant <laughs> yeah, donation. Yeah, if you did enough. Yeah. Or sometimes it can be a bit more, more complicated if you donate an item that yeah. had a value. Like that might need an accountant to just like double check everything there. Yeah. Good, good point, actually. So the final one is just working from home expenses. We covered this with Jacob. If you go back to June uh, 2021, you will see that Jacob from PwC came on the show and helped us um, understand what the work uh, working from home expenses were. So during COVID, if you're still filling out those tax returns, during COVID, the government introduced big changes for working from home allowances. They basically gave you two options. One was um, you can just do like this simplified version where it's just a cents per hour. Mm. And the other one was where you actually calculated all the stuff you spent money on. So depending on your circumstance, you would choose one of the options. But the basics of it is if you build out your home office, like let's say you get a laptop purely for work, or you pay for your internet and the internet is used 80% for work, et cetera, you can work out how much of it is work use and how much of it is private use and you can make deductions against your income. Obviously, this is for people that earn income. If, you're, if it's just a hobby or something that you're doing on the side, you're not going to be able to claim it because it just doesn't make sense. You have mm. to earn money from the things that you're using for your work. Um, so really really powerful if you think about these just to recap them for people that maybe just this went over your head because you're listening while you're i don't know putting the kids to sleep or something um so we've got super contributions medicare levy surcharge which is the, the extra bit on top of the ninety thousand or 180 for couples owning your own home when you've got um no tax on your primary residence capital gains tax discount own an investment for more than 12 months and you'll receive uh, you'll pay less tax 
Franking credits are tax credits stored at the ATO for your, you know, your beta shares A200 or your VAS or any of your um, share investments like your BHPs and Telstra's. Um, Self-deductible, let's try this again, deductible self-education expenses, okay, um, must be related to your work. Charitable donations for anything over $2, keep your receipts and working from home expenses. These are fantastic ways to minimize tax and maximize your long-term wealth. Mm. Fantastic. There's heaps of information on- Because these are all ways the government is giving you to like maximize how much you get back or minimize how much you actually pay. And they're all legal ways as long as you actually follow the guidelines and make sure you're claiming correctly and within the limits. It might only be, you know, you might think, oh, you know, it's- 100 bucks here, 20 bucks there. But at the end of the day, that might be $1,000. Yeah. So and that's a thousand can bucks get you pocket. started investing. It can help you pay off debt, get you started with your emergency funds. So those things add up. And so like for me, I'll just have an email in my each of my inboxes called tax and just anything that's somewhat related. If I make a donation during the year, if I get a dividend, I just drag all those emails to that folder. And then I come to that later in the year. And one of the other things that we often get asked is, should you get an accountant? Should you just do it yourself? Um, And I'd say there's kind of three levels. You could do it completely yourself, which is via the government portal, which if you're just a like a vanilla employee, you're just working nine to five. Maybe you've got some interest on your up money account. Maybe you've got one dividend from your A200 ETF. Like that's quite straightforward to do yourself. Maybe you want a bit of help for the first one. So you learn how to do it, but there's a lot of information on the ATO website to help you. There's also like middle tier where it might be 50 to $100. You can use a company's online platform and they'll have an accountant review it. So you do the grunt work and then you have mm. a professional review to make sure you've done everything right and um, someone you can ask questions to. And then there's kind of the third tier where you actually a full service tax accountant that's fully qualified in this. You you don't quite give them the shoe box, but you give them um, maybe folders full of all of the different information for your tax return. And then you just say, here, work it out. Ask me what questions you have. Are there any documents missing? And they kind of do it all for you. And that might cost you a few hundred dollars. Yeah, so it might be anywhere from say two to $500, yeah. depending on your situation. Um, I typically take door number three because it is easier to have an accountant when you have a business and when you have investments, it does get complicated. What I would say is regardless of your situation, keep good records. We'll talk about this in just a second. But Kate said, you know, you don't hand him a box of receipts. That is so silly. Unless you get paid more than $200 an hour, (laughs) do it yourself. If you do, get like a Google sheet. It's free to get like online, go like Google sheets, create a, a spreadsheet that's got fuel in one column, put it all in there. Yeah. Another one that's got like self-education, another one that's got like charitable donations and mm-hmm. then give that to your accountant so they don't have to look through all your stuff. Uh, it's it's going to save them hours, which then saves yeah. you hundreds of dollars. Um, super easy. Um, you're right. There are sort of kind of like the light versions. Yeah. Like we spoke with Jacob from PwC. This is not an endorsement, but they have a light version. I know a lot of the big accounting firms do it, like mm-hmm. H&R Block. Um, and there's like FinTech. There's like FinTech, small yeah, heaps of sort of stuff. popping up. ATO, if you use the ATO pre-fill service, which is um, available through MyGov, basically what happens is anywhere you put your tax file number, the government's going to know about it. Yeah. So if you give your share registry, so let's say you go to Link Market Services because you own A200 
and you get this letter in the mail that says, you should put your tax file number in at linkmarketservices.com, whatever it is. You should, because you should. otherwise, when you get paid your dividend or distribution, you're going to see something there under the withholding tax line. Yep. And then I get to the end of the financial year and <laughs> I've got about three or $400 of withholding tax because you haven't filled everything in properly because you are slack on your admin and so you want that money in your pocket straight away because you can invest it and you can do all sorts of things with it so just filling in the boxes doing the admin at the start i mean Mm -hmm. we talked about our paperwork episode now share registries of making sure you do everything right at the start with your bank account details so they're not just holding your money and then sending it to the ato because it's unclaimed so just doing those things like admin i mean i when i do my tax return i will put everything in google drive folders Um, label them. Now I've kind of got a system. I can kind of copy that same file layout Mm. each year. I'll just drag all of the documents in. I'll have a Google sheet listing everything out. And then I send that to my accountant um, because it's just, it's a lot of hassle for me now as an investor who has a few things going on to do it all myself. Yep. So there are some, so there are some great resources in our back catalog. The yep. most important one for investors is the share registries episode that we did. Yes, that is The very share important. registries, it's the boring thing. It's what happens after you buy shares. So everything leading up to buying shares is like, which broker do I choose? What shares or ETF mm. should I invest in? But then as soon as you buy something, what do I got to do? You got to sort out your tax, send yep. your tax file number away so it's all recorded properly. That's with a share registry. Um, so there are some other things you can do. There are apps, like there's the ATO app. There is, there's the Zero app for people with business, MYB, QuickBooks. Um, there's like all of the big accounting firms have them as well. And so what you do with those apps is you effectively just record your expenses on the go. Mm. Or you can do what Kate and I do, which is a bit more manual, but that's okay too. Yeah, or you could just schedule them like a monthly tax date in with yourself. So you can um, you can get Ooh, up to date with everything. Hot date. Yes, I... I've never been the person to do that. I'm just like put it in a folder and get to it at tax time. Um, but it depends yeah. how easy you want to make your life. And if, if the, the thing about tax can. time is it's all about habits. Yeah. It's either you can just put the receipt in your, your, the kind of the side of your door in your car when you get it, you know, your, your parking when you go for work. Um, but the other thing is that you can actually just get the apps, which then allow mm. you to take a photo and store it. Like the ATO app allows you to take a photo yeah. um, and you can store it. So um, keeping good records, super important. Um, know what kind of taxpayer you are. If you're a sole trader and um, if you have your own small business, you're going to have a lot more flexibility with what you can yeah. claim. So even more reason to keep receipts. Um, and if you are in a small business situation, please get zero or MYB or something mm. like that. It will save you so much money. Yeah. Okay, Kate, episode takeaways. Give them to me. Okay. Uh, first one, you probably need a tax file number. It makes life easier. I mean, it's not compulsory, but it's just going to be a whole lot of hassle if you don't. Yep. Um, in terms of withholding tax, uh, key taxes to be aware of and that I really recommend going to the ATO website and learning more about is income tax and capital gain tax. They're the main things you'll need to know as an employee and a new investor. Um, have a look at all those tax incentives that we talked about. Google each one. The ATO website pops up really straight away for each of those things you Google. They've got pretty good SEO. <laughs> um, and it's also, I really want to stress to you the importance of keeping good records, which is something I didn't do during my first few years of investing. And it was always a hassle. And I always was annoyed at myself and regretted not keeping good records. So I've gotten a lot, little bit better. Yeah. Not amazing. A lot, little bit. <laughs> a lot, little bit, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, one thing I want to stress with Kate's key takeaways there is just no the incentives know which tax rules are applying which ones are being proposed because you can save or make a lot of money so go check that out um kate we got some action points at the end of this episode we've got one for people that are new to the podcast series and people that are more advanced 
what is the one that's for newer listeners of the show? Okay, so if you're new to the show, I'd really recommend going to the Australian Tax Office, ATO's website, and just having a look around. They've made it really customer-friendly to look at everything, find out the information. Uh, They provide a lot of examples too. So if you're going, oh, what's capital gains tax? I'll actually break down how that works for someone who has an investment. Um, And they also talk about all sorts of new stuff like what does crypto have to do with it and declaring that and side hustles. And they'll give you all of that information you need. There is also got a forum um, mm. yeah, with they do. experts people and people questions. answer questions and they've got some tax guides for new investors as well. So have a look and familiarize yourself with that. Yeah. So the one that I would just call out there is the, the tax guide for share investors. Yeah. Um, so there's one that's specifically set up for people that invest in shares because it does get complicated yeah. and they explain all of it. Like what happens if I've bought BHP shares five times? At different prices, mm. which which price do I use to calculate capital gains tax? Yeah, I see that one question come up a few yeah. times in our Facebook community. Yeah. So that's important to know about, especially as you get a bit more sophisticated in your investing. And your balances get bigger. Yeah, the balances get bigger. The potential tax liabilities get bigger. So it's important to have a look at this. And in general, the, the theory behind income tax and capital gains tax, once you learn it and figure it out, it stays the same. It's just maybe the, the rates at what and what numbers get tax changes. Yep, that's it. Um, and also creating a record system, whether that's Google Sheets, um, Excel, maybe even a Word document, just something to keep records during the year, maybe set aside time for a tax date with yourself each month. Maybe you have mm-hmm. a folder in your email inbox to drag all those emails to or a specific um, folder in your phone, whatever it is, just try and figure out a record system that works for you because it makes life so much easier at the end of financial year. Yep, I like it. And the one for more advanced listeners, the people that have been listening for three years to the Australian Finance Podcast or going on three years, congratulations and thank you for putting up with us this long. Um, So uh, I've been listening to my own voice for a while now. It's been pretty horrendous. But what I want to do is I want to remind you to do an audit of your basically all of your investments. And what I mean by this is like a tax audit. Do it yourself. Go into your brokerage account and make sure that you've gone and you've into your share registry you've put in the right tax file numbers and you've got it all set up correctly because you might find that you've missed one and you're being withheld tax. Mm. For example, in an ETF. Um, And we know that that can be a bit cumbersome at tax time. So make sure it's all correct because you don't want to have to go back and correct any of that stuff. Yeah, and Um, check every individual registry. And if you have multiple brokerage accounts, check each registry under each of the holder identification numbers. And remember, you can still use something like ShareSite as well for your performance and reporting. So ShareSite, we're not endorsed nor are we affiliated with them. But ShareSite is a tool that you can use. I think it's free for up to 10 investment Mm -hmm. positions. So if you have five ETFs, it would be free for you. you can use ShareSite. It's like software that calculates the taxable gains and losses and whatever. Yeah. And it also reports on your performance to see if you're any good at investing. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's always important. It. That's about it. Uh, I, that's a whole I'm, podcast. Am I actually good at investing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three years on, should I have a look? So we'll see this in Starter Pack 2.0 next year. Yes. <laughs> but um, just don't forget that if you want to learn more about this really important topic you can head to rask education and you can take one of our courses for example our money and budgeting course talks about tax introduces you to the tax system super and how it all interplays with investing so there's heaps of new resources that we'll have available here in the uh, episode show notes so please go and check that out you'll find them in your podcast player or you can head to our website and um, follow the links to that 
Yep. Cool. Awesome. Kate, as always, a starter pack episode where we talk about tax. Who would have yes, thought? Yes, a very important one, but it'll save you a bit of heartache down the road if you do it right first time. As, absolutely. Take our word for it. Um, <laughs> learn from our mistakes. <laughs> We've all paid a bit too much tax in our time. We have indeed. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.